All right, so the three big talking points of today are going to be, number one, whether or not you should use full range of motion or whether you should use partial reps in the gym and does it have to be a binary choice. Number two is whether or not there is an optimal rate of fat loss and how to calculate that rate and what it means by going too fast or too slow on a weight loss program. And the final thing is, should you should you look at Instagram before you go into the gym? As always, I'd like to welcome you to Fitness for Fatherhood, the podcast helping first-time fathers find the time to regain their health and fitness to become the superhero dads their kids look up to. I'm Stacey Liddell, your host, a qualified personal trainer, two-time amateur physique competitor, and a freshly minted dad. I firmly believe that a healthy body and mind are the cornerstones to a fulfilling life. Get ready to gain actionable tools and strategies from real-life examples to take control of your health and fitness to become the superhero dad your kids can look up to. Alrighty, so let's jump into the first topic of today. And I'm going to first talk about the difference between partial reps and full range of motion reps and which one I would recommend to get the most out of your training. And the interesting thing here is I think if you'd asked me about 15 years ago what I would have said, I think my answer would have been a bit different because I had no idea about the science. And uh, just from looking out into the landscape of professional bodybuilding, there's a lot of guys doing partial reps. And so I said both would have clearly had benefits and value. And I think that's still the case, but to a lesser extent now do I believe that partial should be done by most people. And uh, the research kind of shows that the full range of motion for the exercises in the gym are kind of king of the hill. So let's maybe dig into why that is. Um, and we can also talk about some of the benefits of partials for certain individuals and maybe some exercises as well that might benefit from partials. And that is backed up with a bit of research as well. So the first point that people would argue for doing partials is that with the partial movement, you can do more weight for a given exercise. Now, while that is true, a lot of people don't think about the flip side of the coin. The distance that you're pushing the weight through is smaller. So, I mean, if you look at it from a mathematical standpoint, if your full range of motion is equivalent to, let's say, you know, one in terms of distance, and you're doing a 100 kilogram bench press for three sets, eight reps, your total weight that you move would be 100 kilos times eight reps times three sets times one being the distance of the full range of motion. That's going to be equivalent to 2,400 kilograms. Stay with me. I know sometimes the math is a little bit difficult to follow in an audio format. Um, so now let's say you want to do half that distance, but you're going to increase the weight. So you get 150 kilos, you times that by eight and times it by three, but now you only got half the distance. So your distance is no longer one, it's 0.5. Because you've taken off so much of the distance you're moving the weight, you've actually done less work. You've only done 1,800 kilograms in total because that's, you know, as I said, 150 times eight times three times 0.5. 
So there are trade-offs when we go up in weight, especially if it's going to hinder us from doing a full range of motion. So you can see even adding 50% more weight onto the bar, if you can only push it through half the range of motion, you're actually doing less than what you think. So that's just something to bear in mind. Another thing to think of is a lot of people say yes, but in your partial reps, you're actually sustaining tension on the muscle for the entire movement. And with the full range of motion, there are resting points when you lock out at the top and maybe at the bottom of the movement when you when you also aren't exerting much tension. Now, this isn't necessarily true. There's actually active and passive tension throughout the movement. And this is something that I learned about when I was studying to be a personal trainer. This passive tension force is something in stretched positions that really hasn't been looked much into. And I think the research on it is becoming more and more apparent that it is actually something that's worthwhile. Um, another thing to think of is that this actually may be the case, the fact that increased tension exists for partial reps, in situations where exercises have very, very easy tops and bottoms. So if you think of something like uh, an easy bar skull crusher, at the top there's very little tension, and at the bottom when the weight is kind of hanging back over your head, there's also very little tension. Another one might be at the bottom of a lat raise, a very very easy position where there's not much tension at the bottom there so it might be beneficial to use partial reps over the tops and bottoms of certain exercises and these exercises generally tend to be free weight in nature and they also tend to be isolated exercises so not the bigger compound lifts more more isolated movements like i already mentioned the side lateral raise or skull crushes with an easy bar and things like that Another thing that people point to is that we often see bodybuilders, especially professional bodybuilders, training with partial reps on their Instagram or on YouTube. And I'm sure plenty of us or plenty of you have seen them online doing this kind of training. And the thing is here is that we don't really have insight to all of their training. We don't see every single movement, every single rep that they're doing. We only see what they want us to see. So is it just, you know, is the anecdotal evidence of the little bits and pieces that we see of their training going to be more productive than what the science shows? I'm a bit skeptical on that. And another thing to think about is, remember, these are IFBB pros. What exactly, as, as a guy training as a dad, do you have in common with IFBB pros? Are you yourself training like an IFBB pro? Are you getting the same food, nutrition, the same uh, pharmacological treatments that these guys are getting, you know, performance-enhancing drugs, is that something that you share in common with them? If not, I think it's very hard to compare normal general pop people to IFBB pros because the lifestyle that they lead and the inputs that they use are completely different to the inputs that we would use as regular folk. And that's just something to bear in mind as well. And just to wrap up and close off on, on the bodybuilding part, the research does seem absolutely clear, especially for lower body exercises. And these generally tend to be more compound in nature that doing full range of motion is going to be more beneficial than partial reps. And so just to focus in on some of the key points before moving on to the next topic, um, one is safety. 
obviously you need to take your own mobility into account. So for example, when I train for squats, when I was younger, I used to be able to squat a little bit lower than I can now. I've had two operations on my right knee. And as a result, there's a little bit of stiffness in my right knee that just kind of locks up a bit when I go deep into squats. So that's something that I bear in mind. I can go below parallel, but not much lower than that before things get a little weird for me in terms of just mobility in that right knee. So just think about your own mobility. Is it safe for you to perform a movement right to the full range of motion? Or can you take a little bit out at the bottom or top of the movement where it is difficult or you don't actually have the required mobility to perform the movement safely? Another thing that we should always try to do is try to make sure that you at least do the hardest part of the lift that's going to be where most of the benefit is going to be derived from. So in each movement, there will be sticking points. So for squats, it's normally around that parallel line. If you can go to parallel or just below, that's great. And essentially, the key point here is to try and find the sticking point in your movements and to go through them. Um, that means you're going through the hardest part of the lift, which means you're getting maximum benefit from the movement. And the final point I want to make on partials is that they can actually be beneficial to powerlifters who are training a specific portion of a movement. Maybe they have a weakness in a certain area of their lift and they might use partials to strengthen that particular part of the lift. And that's something that I think is quite commonly done in powerlifting circles. I'm not 100% familiar with the training and the routines of powerlifters, but I have seen powerlifters using partials for that specific reason. The second topic I want to talk about today is optimal fat loss. Is there a rate that is optimal to lose fat at or can you just go as quickly or as slowly as you'd like? And this is something that I find really interesting, especially as someone who went through a cut for my first amateur physique show. I went through it way too quickly and I'll touch on the science and some of the negative things that I experienced there. And then the second time around, I went on stage, I did it very differently. And I'll compare those two experiences and try and fill in the gaps with a bit of the science so that you can walk away from this episode understanding why we lose fat at a certain rate and what rate is optimal. I guess as always, we need to put it into context. I mean, what is your current situation? What is your motivation for losing weight? If you're somebody who is carrying around a lot of extra body fat, you might have heard in fitness circles that we should try and lose weight really quickly in the beginning. And in actual fact, I believe that people who are carrying around a lot of weight and haven't yet started a gym routine and haven't started a diet and are looking to begin a weight loss program, I actually think it's beneficial to go slower for these individuals. And the reason being is that if we go really hard out of the gates and things become very difficult very quickly, then it may be even more tough for that person to keep motivation in order to continue through the diet. So if we go on a really super strict diet, a really crazy training regimen right off the bat for somebody who is not really inside the world of health and fitness, it may actually push them away further because the program is too intense. Now, on the other hand, if you're an athlete who needs to meet a weight requirement for a lifting meet, you're in a completely different situation. If you are above the weight and you need to lose that weight quickly, 
you may have to do things that otherwise aren't advisable um, at a higher speed to somebody in a different situation to what you are, someone who is you know, just looking to get a bit leaner for their wedding day, for example. So on both sides of the equation, there do seem to be cons, obviously pros and cons. Um, if we go too quickly for somebody who's not quite ready for it, we might discourage them. But if we also go too slowly and they don't see many changes, again, the motivation factor might be a problem. So generally, what I've learned over the few years that I've been training and what I've learned from doing the research or looking at the research, sorry, I haven't done the research, I've read through the research, it seems like about 0.5 to 1% of your body weight can be reduced per week. This speed is going to be quick enough for most people to see weight dropping off consistently so that they can keep motivated to continue their diet and continue their weight loss journey. And I know some of you may be thinking, well, why can't I go faster than that? And, you know, as with everything in life, there are trade-offs here. If we go super fast, super quickly, and we go on a big calorie deficit, we are going to ultimately impact our performance. So we're not going to be able to lift as much in the gym because we just don't have the energy. And another thing that might happen is that we might start losing lean mass. And that's not what we want, right? When people say, I want to lose weight, they generally tend to mean that they want to lose body fat and not muscle mass. And this speaks to the example of myself that I used earlier. When I prepared for my first bodybuilding show in 2015, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was a university student. I couldn't afford to pay for a coach. And so I kind of did a lot of my own experimentation, my own dieting. And what ended up happening was I got my calories a bit wrong and I dieted a bit too quickly. And what ended up happening is I ended up losing quite a bit of my muscle mass in preparation for stage. And not only did I lose muscle mass, I also found that I was lethargic. I was tired. Training wasn't enjoyable. It was difficult for me to actually perform the workouts that I wanted to and hit the goals in the gym that I needed to. And so as a general rule of thumb, the faster we go on a cut or a diet, the less likely it is that we're going to be able to maintain performance and hold on to the muscle mass that we have. And another thing is that it's obviously not great for your health to be losing lean mass. And also you're going to be losing strength. And those are two things we don't really want to compromise on or we want to compromise as little as possible on those two things. So we want to keep as much muscle mass as possible and we want to lose body fat and try and minimize the loss of muscle. I know that many people, when they are going through a dieting phase, they don't want to end up on the other side of a diet just being skinny. They want to be strong. They want to look healthy. They want to have you know, visually, a visually pleasing physique. They don't just want to lose a whole bunch of body fat. They also want to get stronger and improve their health outcomes. And so yes, there is a difference between being skinny and between being lean. So this is why I always say that slower is better for most people if they're going for this visually pleasing physique. Something that a lot of people may not have experienced on a severe cut and something that I've experienced is also what you may not realize is that your cognitive functioning might even be impacted 
through impacted through a serious diet, especially if you are very low in carbohydrates. And that is something that I also went through in that first cut of mine. On the day of my show, I went to eat some food. Now, bear in mind, this is after the show, so I didn't have to stick to any kind of diet or anything like that. So I went to Subway to grab a Subway sandwich. And while sitting there, I had my Subway sandwich, or I think I had half of it, because I couldn't actually stomach the whole thing. I think my stomach had shrunk so much because of the diet. And I ended up leaving some of my gym paraphernalia behind. I think I left lifting wraps and bands and things like that just in the restaurant and only realized after I'd driven home that I hadn't bothered to pack my stuff into my bag again after putting them out in search of my wallet or something like that. So yeah, that's something that is also very, very important. If you're somebody who needs cognitive functioning at work, you don't want to push yourself to the point where now your work is also taking a knock. Not only are you losing out in the gym in terms of energy and performance, you're losing out on muscle mass and you're suffering at work. So these are just things to bear in mind and why we want to look for a balance of between 0.5% and 1% of your body mass per week in terms of your cut. It also becomes really difficult to stay motivated if we are in a serious calorie deficit for a long extended period of time. And if it's not enjoyable, if it's not really motivating for you to stick to a diet, it's obviously going to be harder and harder to complete the said diet. And that doesn't seem like something we want to experience, right? We want something sustainable. We want something that's going to work for 8 to 12 weeks and then reassess and see where to go next. Another thing that I learned about through my PT course is that once you reduce calories quite severely, your body is obviously a very complex biological organism, so it's going to adapt. You're going to reduce your NEAT, your non-exercise activity thermogenesis. That's just a fancy way of saying essentially all the movements and all the things that you do over the course of a day that are also burning calories that aren't necessarily exercise. So for example, if you're, if you're somebody who talks a lot with their hands or you're somebody who fidgets and clicks their knuckles, those little movements are all burning up energy. And over the course of a day, it can burn quite a fair amount of calories. And those little things actually slow down and sometimes even disappear from your repertoire if you drop your calories too, too low. Your body is trying to conserve calories and it's going into survival mode. It's even going to slow down your metabolism and stop you from burning calories as efficiently as it was before because it wants to conserve and survive. And this is something that I think, especially many first-time dieters, don't take into account that if they go into a wild, crazy deficit straight away, they are going to cause some physiological changes that they aren't quite aware of. Those of you who've also gone on deep, deep diets, you'll also know how difficult it becomes to stick to the diet when small temptations pop up. You see someone eating a chocolate bar or you walk into a place that sells great ice cream. The signals to your brain that just wants to eat that savory and sweet looking food is going to go through the roof. So your signals are going to go through the roof. So it's going to really mess with your head. And I've experienced this again in that first cut of mine. I just really, really struggled with not being tempted to eat things. I didn't eat a, a whole lot off diet, but that was because I was very 
disciplined and focused and driven to complete my diet. But in normal cases, you don't really want to be putting yourself through extra psychological drain where you're having to almost block out all the nice goodies on the side just because you're trying to hit a very, very excessive calorie deficit. And then let's talk on the flip side of the coin. What about going too slowly? And this is where diet fatigue can come in. So if you diet for too long, you also may lose motivation. And that's why there is that little sweet spot that I mentioned earlier of 0.5 to 1% of your body weight per week. And when we go too slowly, if we drop much below that 0.5% number, it also becomes difficult to actively track. Because if you're weighing yourself you know, twice or three times across the week to try and get a good average of your weight, that number is going to fluctuate with fluid intake, food intake, and those kinds of things. It's going to be difficult to see small changes. Even if you are losing a bit of weight, it's harder and harder to tell when that number is smaller and smaller. This is especially difficult for those of you who are lighter at the beginning of your cut, you know. So, yes, you may be overweight, but you may be a shorter person that starts off at 80 kilos. It's harder to track the drop, the percentage drops for an 80 kilo person than it is for somebody who weighs 125, 130 kilos, just because those percentage differences are vastly different. So, uh, another thing is that it can be demotivating to be hitting all your dietary goals. So you've stuck to your diet, you've done exactly as your coach has said, or you've done exactly as your diet plan that you've put together has said, but you're not seeing any improvement on the scale. And one thing that I always do also mention is that the scale can be a really poor way to actually track fat loss. It's not telling you anything about the composition of your body. So you might actually have been losing fat and putting on a bit of muscle from your training and dieting, but because that number is not going down, it's going to start putting doubt and self-doubt into your head. So another thing to think of is that the demotivation of hitting all your goals but not really seeing a change in the scale is another reason to maybe not go too slowly on a cut. The one exception I do have for very slow cuts are for advanced athletes who are very in tune with their bodies and have dieted a lot so know exactly how to manipulate and tweak their fat loss. And for these athletes, like professional bodybuilders, they can go a little bit slower if they've got the time because they will want to preserve as much of their muscle as possible before going into a show. So slower is much better for someone like that who has come to grips with their fat loss phase and exactly how to do it in an effective, slow manner. And the last thing I want to say on this topic is that I would recommend if you're deciding to do a fat loss phase, then give yourself a cutoff date. Have an end date. Normally, I would say two to three months of dieting and training is great. And then what we want to do is we want to try and find a maintenance patch for a few months, maybe for two or three months. We want to get into a maintenance window where we're just holding on to the new level of body fat and we're not wanting to change too much. And if we're not happy with the level of fat then we can always go through another cycle of fat loss. Uh, I think some people want to try and keep on losing, keep on losing, keep on losing, and it's very difficult to do psychologically. And yeah, that's just something that I advise. Take a break. It doesn't mean you have to rebound and overshoot your calories. It means you find a level of maintenance, you maintain at that body weight, and when you're ready psychologically, you jump in again for another two to three-month window. 
and you can, in that second phase, and maybe even third phase of fat loss, hit your goal that you wanted to from the start. Doing it this way is far less likely to lead to a rebound and adding all the weight back on, which I see so commonly in the fitness industry. The final topic today, and it's going to be a very short one, is please get off Instagram before you gym. There's some new data out showing that people who use certain types of social media, in this instance, I believe it was Instagram, showed that their performance actually decreased in the gym if they were using Instagram for 30 minutes or more prior to working out. Interestingly enough, the use of Instagram seemed to be cognitively demanding and so it sapped some of your cognitive energy prior to going into the workout and people who looked at Instagram did less volume in the gym. And so this shows us, again, another great example of being very careful with the kind of content you consume, not only before gym, I guess, in general, and just something to bear in mind that we often do things that we don't realize are impacting our performance in our life. And this is a great example of that, that um, social media can actually cause a, a decrease in performance in the gym. And what's happening here is that by scrolling for 30 minutes or more, you're obviously flooding your brain with way too much uh, stimulation and it's trying to grab your attention. And obviously, even worse, I guess, with Instagram is that not only is it is it stealing your attention away from other things, it's also getting you to compare your situation with others, be it consciously or subconsciously. You're looking at other people's lives and situations and you're naturally going to be comparing your own situation to theirs. And so, you know, these fake and awesome lives that seem to be being lived out on the internet somewhere and these people with godlike physiques can also cause us to feel slightly worse about ourselves. And so we don't want to be going into the gym with that kind of mindset, right? And yeah, that's all from me today. And I hope that you're able to take away some practical tips, be it just avoiding Instagram before going to workout, reassessing your fat loss program, or trying to fix some of the partial reps or incorporating full range of motion into your workouts and understanding why that's important. And until next time, I hope that you stay strong, stay safe, and become the father, the superhero dad that your kids can look up to.